They just like really have their shit together. It blows my mind. It's behavior, bitches. Hi, guys. It's Liat here. And Casey. Duh. And we're here this week and ahead of our game, actually, for this podcast episode. So we're feeling really proud of ourselves. And this is our third episode, Casey. We're doing it. I can't even believe it. Behavioral momentum. Behavioral momentum, baby. We're getting it going. We're getting it going. Um, So thanks for joining us. If you haven't already, subscribe to our shit, okay? Get on Apple Podcasts. I'm going to give you a task analysis, okay? And I actually, if you do a real task analysis, you're supposed to perform the skill yourself or watch a professional do it. So I did it myself. What do you do? You go on to the Apple Podcast app, search Behavior Bitches on Apple Podcasts, click on it, press subscribe, then go ahead and click five stars. It's low response effort, does not take very long. And if you really love us, you could take four seconds and reinforce us and write a few words that are kind, like, please do this. This is what gets us up there and reinforces us making more podcasts for you. So- Go follow us at our Instagram, Behavior Bitches Podcast, our Facebook, Behavior Bitches Podcast. And Liat promises for every person that follows or comments, she'll give you guys a life-changing affirmation about yourself. Even no, no, if she no. That, even know that, you. that goes for if you subscribe to the podcast and leave a review and you go into our Facebook group and say, done. I will leave you the best affirmation you've ever heard in your entire freaking life. And if you want, I'll tell you a good fortune too. So go. Do it. We love you. Thank you. Anyways, Casey, how's it going as a BCBA? I know last week you were stressed as balls. So how's it going? I'm going to say not much has changed. Um, Being a BCBA is a definite difficult job, but... I'm finding that I am slowly getting myself organized, um, figuring out what is most important to do first and what can go on the back burner and who I need to help first. And yeah, it's definitely stressful. I never imagined it would be like this, but guys, it's worth it. We're saving lives every day, right? Right, right, right. But it's stressful as hell. not going to lie when you first get into it, which will lead us into another podcast. We will do. We promise. Um, it's going to be called, let's say seven's my lucky number. So the seven things you need to know your first month as a BCBA. I've already started my list. Like help. I want to go back to being a behavior tech. I want too many, too many responsibilities. I don't know the name yet. We'll figure it out. Every day I see my direct support staff having so much fun and doing yoga and music therapy and all the fun things I got to do. And then I'm stuck in an office. Yeah, no offense, but like when you were studying and stuff, even though you were studying every second, I always would be like, I've never seen someone with such a balance in life. Like you were like, oh, I'm just getting, you know, I'm just getting a facial here. Oh, getting my nails done here. Oh, I'm getting my hair done. I'm like, bro, how many times do you get your hair done? I'll tell you what. Listen, when I was studying for the boards, I was also working full time, but in a very non-stressful-ish job. And I had the most... I think back on that time and I thought I was so stressed with studying for the boards and that stress, it's <laughs> nothing compared, <laughs> honestly, nothing. I want to go back to studying for my exam every single moment of my Girl, life. Girl, you can, you teach study notes ABA now. It's literally studying <laughs> for the exam full time. Guys, Monday, Wednesday, sign up for the hashtag study notes ABA collective. You'll have me Monday, Wednesday or Liat Tuesday, Thursday. Okay. Just tell us who you like more. Please leave comments in the review who you want to learn more with. No one will take offense. No, we won't. Me. Just be honest. Honesty is the best policy. (sighs) Okay. Anyways, so you're busy being a BCBA. I am actually planning to go to Israel again in two weeks. Lucky. I'm actually like not ready to go back yet. Like, I mean, I was just there for a full month for my wedding and all that. But now Eliron's brother is getting married. And you know how these Israelis party. I mean, this is like, I have to... I mean, if no one has ever gone to Liat's Facebook page and looked at her wedding video, you will, (laughs) well, you haven't lived. You haven't lived unless you've seen her wedding. Like I've never in my life witnessed anything like that, Liat. That video makes me look much cooler than I am in real life. And 
I know it's a little bit early of an introduction, but um, I have my best friend here today for this podcast episode, and she was there. And wouldn't you say that video makes me look cooler than I am? I think a lot of things you do online make you look cooler than you are. <laughs> <laughs> Nina, I like you already. Okay, speaking of all the things I do online, lately I've been busy. I run like 10 hustles. I mean, I'm starting to think I need a separate work phone because I have absolutely no boundaries. Like literally for till like two o'clock in the morning, early in the morning, I I think I need a separate work phone. That's the point. I mean, I have things coming in on Facebook, my nine email addresses you were just laughing at, literally nine email addresses. Um, but speaking of boundaries, I couldn't think of a better introduction <laughs> to introduce you to my BFF. Uh, yeah. They can't Hi, see Nina. you. Oh, right. Well, I was waving at Casey. I can see you, though. <laughs> we can see Casey. Um, Nina is, we have been friends since I would say maybe we were six years old. I think five. Five? Yeah, I moved to Dallas when I was five. Okay, so she moved to Dallas. And we have, I would say we're polar opposites kind of thing in a lot of things. I think you like to think that we're polar opposites because we present very differently. Like Nina, if I were to describe her as a shape, I would describe her as a square. <laughs> and I'm not talking about her body figure. It might be more pear shape, but like shape wise, she is a square. Her family, literally, I like, I, how long have I been making fun of you for like your perfect family? Like they I play board seven. games. Like they play board games. Like I used to love going to her house when we were little. Her dad would take out like, his magic, magic, his magic kit from the attic. It was absolutely magical. We but just get along very well. We get, yeah, we get along really well. But we also happen to be yeah. at the same places always. Like yeah. we both went to the same preschool, like mm -hmm. little Jewish day school. And then no, we, we went didn't. to, I went to Schechter. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, we lived in Dallas at the same time. We lived went, at Maryland at the same time. We, we went to University DC of Maryland together, time. but we had separate friends. We always had separate friends. But we've kind of like reconnected. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So and now we're both back in Dallas. Not for long. True. Um, but I'm so excited doing this podcast, by the way, Casey, because last week we were able to have your best friend on. So I felt like it was only fair that we could have my best friend on this week. We were um, always battling each other. Who's better? But this whole podcast thing, Casey, I love it because it gives us an opportunity to talk to our friends at the same time or cool people in general, because Nina, you know that I have no time for you the rest of the week. No offense. <laughs> Apparently, she literally calls me like three times a day. If that, well, probably more. I, for my my best friend, Heather, she's like, this is the only time I'll ever get to see you or hang out with you is if I'm on your podcast. <laughs> Which right. is totally not true. If you're best friends, you're talking more often than not. I know, we text every single day, so. There you go. And we just talked on the phone twice today. But we don't talk about this. Most of the time I refuse to talk to Leon about stuff like this. So she, you should feel honored. About what? Like anything about my work. I pretty much keep going. Oh, I thought she meant about our podcast. I'm oh. like, oh, wow. Well, I hear rude. about the podcast all the time. <laughs> um, so anyways, I told you a little bit about Nina. Aside from the fact that her family does play board games. And if you went to her house at like 730 on any school night growing up, all their like lunches were like on the counter with their little names. Um, They just like really have their shit together. It blows my mind. Um, But aside from that... Um, Nina, do you want to tell them anything else about yourself? Yeah, because what you said is only partly true. <laughs> Nina, um, I have a quick question. Sure. Why do you call Liat Linky? What does that mean? Oh, I call her Linky because that's what her parents call her. And that's what I've always called her. That's just her nickname. I like it. I'm going to use it a lot now. I just it's Linky, Linky and Casey. I don't know. Did I re even already say Linky? I think no. it just comes so naturally to me. I, I like saying Liot sounds strange. Liot. Yeah, it's like Lah. So can we change our podcast to it's Linky in Casey. <laughs> right. It's Linky. My dad's just like when I was little, he saw me and he was like, She looks like a Linky. Like she has such a big personality. Yeah, I've always been like this, actually. Like a, a little bit there's a screw loose. Yeah. Like something <laughs> like that. Okay. Anyways, tell them tell them about Nina. Tell them about you. I'll tell them about myself. Yeah. Um, so what is true is yes, I've known Liat since I was about five years old. Um, and I moved back to Dallas to start graduate school in counseling psychology. I am now a sixth year getting my PhD in psychology. Woo! Woo! Yeah. 
And this next year, the sixth year, will uh, be the last year, hopefully, graduating in May 2020, hopefully. And uh, this next year, we're me and my husband are moving to Denver, Colorado, because I think you all have this, like an internship or you have to do full-time work. Yeah. Maybe. Oh, like yeah. ours is supervised hours. Right. Same kind of thing. But yeah. So I like we have a year long that you have to do that full time. It's like intense supervision. You get to specialize more in what you're doing. Um, so I'm starting that in July. I'm devastated that I'm leaving you. I know. But I really do intend to move back to Dallas. I love it here. That's what she says. But like Denver is amazing though. I've been there yeah. and it's so beautiful. So I've only been there two times in my entire life, and one was for the interview, and I really didn't see anything. But my husband's a big skier, and like Nina's going to become one a big good stoner. day. <laughs> I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, I had like one good day on the slopes, so maybe that will be good. I would love if Nina the Square became a stoner. It would be so funny. <laughs> Keep dreaming, hun. <laughs> okay. Anyways, but. Since Nina is going to Colorado, if you are in the Dallas area that does leave one opening for a friendship, I am <laughs> taking applications for friends in the Dallas area. And I, I would not be offended if I was replaced. I would be happy for you. But what about when you come back? Guys, I'm already we'll I've already replaced you, Nina. <laughs> already? Yeah, Just but you're pause. not in the same place. It's different. You need like in-person friends and phone friends. Phone right, right, right. We ought to read us phone friends. Yeah. All my friends these days literally are like virtual friends. Like I'm that person who's like, I have my whole virtual world. You know, like it used to be yeah. like considered creepy, but like that's literally what I'm living. Yeah. We both met our spouses like in some online platform. That's so true. Actually, because of you, I wanted to do it. I convinced you that it wasn't creepy. Yeah. But then at first you were scared when I met Ellie Ryan. You were like, he definitely wants the papers. <laughs> I did. I was so suspicious. I really just thought he wanted a green card. I was like, no chance. He barely speaks English. I don't trust him. And now I feel like he's my brother. But a lot cooks. of times I like him more than I like you. Because mm -hmm. he cooks. So cute. Anyways. Okay. So let's get into the topic of the yes. day. Agreed. Okay. Topic of the day is drum roll. So why is our topic today called Freud versus Skinner? Well, if you haven't picked up by now, Skinner is basically the god of behavior. As board certified behavior analyst, you might hear us referring to Skinner quite a bit. Um, we have some other dudes in ABA, but we talk a shit ton about Skinner. Guys, also fun fact, I have a magnet of Skinner on my fridge. <laughs> of his actual whole body and head. Okay, so you want to hear another fun fact? My yes. advisor actually worked under Skinner. What? Yeah. What? Yeah, she was one of his advisees. Oh, I didn't mention it to you. He really? was at Harvard, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. So um, yes. uh, she worked um, did yes, uh, yes. graduate work with him. So guys, if you don't know who Skinner is, which I mean, if you're here listening, you probably do. Um, he kind of was a spearheader of the radical behaviorism movement which started to take into account the private events that the methodological, methodological behaviorist didn't. So he was a psychologist as well as a behaviorist and a social philosopher. And I think one of the cool things was that um, he was the one that kind of set up the hashtag principle of reinforcement. So if consequences are bad, there's a pretty high chance that the behavior will not be repeated. Where if the consequences are good and you like it, the probability of the action being repeated becomes stronger. Right. And when we talk about private events, we're talking about prior to Skinner coming around, we had behaviorists who would say, okay, anything that we can't see is not considered behavior. But then someone, and I always tell people to, I when I was studying for my boards at least, I imagine Skinner, because it said radical behaviorism, I imagine like some stoner, this does not mean that's what he was, but I always imagine like some like stoner dude being like oh yeah this is so radical dude there's a whole other side to behavior too we got to consider what's going on inside like private events that are still behavior but we can't necessarily see it like thinking for example so that's skinner um nina i think we're gonna leave freud to you <laughs> considering we're on the behavior side over here yes the mentalist side i'll have to represent Yes, we call you mentalists. In our field, we refer to you guys as mentalists. Doesn't mean we, lo we love you any less. 
That is interesting. Why do you call us mentalists? Because we value because thought and feeling. Yeah. So as behavior, we're literally looking at what can we physically see? So, I mean, there's private events and sometimes we could see permanent products or something as a result of, let's say someone's thinking and when they're thinking, they maybe bite their nails or something related to mm -hmm. it. So we'll, we'll look at what behaviors we could see to best and measure to change yeah, to measure to change. Okay. Whereas mentalistic is more along the lines of, you know, looking at the different thought processes mm -hmm. or different things along those lines, which yeah. we're not trained in at all. That's why we have you. Yeah. So, okay. So I should pick it up with Freud. Yeah. Tell us all about Freud, baby. Um, Freud, well, baby, Freud, baby, Freud, baby, Freud, Freud, baby, wobble, baby, wobble, baby, Freud. Okay. okay. So, um, well, first of all, I think Freud gets a really bad rap, um, just in the psychological field, the mentalist field in general, the mental health field in general, that like psychoanalysts are people who like have people lay on couches and just speak and ramble on and on about their subconscious and think. Of, Is and, that not true? Yeah. So there are still psychoanalysts, but what is more predominant in the field of psychology right now are those who would identify as psychodynamic. So I actually identify as a psychodynamic um, counselor in training because I don't right, have I my license her. yet. I That's love so how you say identify as. I know. It's I really identify like, as a behavior analyst. It's I want to cool. say that. It's, it's like, so the psychobabble that we just all <laughs> pick wait, up together. And, and you know when like, – like Instead of saying I am, it's I identify with. I love what it. Do no, but that. that's like oh, this that's new thing on language. Instagram. Everyone will be like – they'll give their pronouns, like what they identify as. You know, so be like yeah, she – her them they yeah yeah those ones get confusing for his. me because i never like know which one to use correctly but that's cool well, you have say, to ask someone yeah you have to ask someone sure. but if especially if they don't have the intro on their instagram then you have no idea so you gotta sure. ask yeah but well, anyway i'm so now gonna take over and do the um identify as a behavior analyst for the rest of my life. Thank you, Nina. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. <laughs> um, so anyway, just more about, I guess, uh, Freud and psychodynamic thinking. Um, there are many theories that people can subscribe to and then identify themselves as that type of therapist. Um, I, you know, work more integratively. And I think that's what a lot of the field is doing now that they take bits and pieces. Like we could actually use some behavior principles, like a lot of the stuff that Liat talks about. You always I know use what in it my is. work. Yeah. yeah. You always because that's someone who would maybe be more CBT, cognitive behavior therapist. Yeah. Um, Side interesting really, note. Hmm. You might know this already. Casey, you don't. I had a really bad breakup in college and I left and you went to a CBT therapist. and I went to like CBT like outpatient five days a week mm -hmm. in Dallas. And I'm telling you, it actually changed my entire thought process. It was amazing. Yeah. So they work really closely with behaviors and thoughts, mm -hmm. also incorporate uh, feelings sometimes. But I would say that's what's closest to ABA um, as far as the psychoanalytic world goes. Um, what I do, because I'm more integrative and psychodynamic, I look more at relationships. I look more at those like um, early childhood experiences. That's very psychoanalytic to like talk about someone's parents or their siblings at a very young age and how that then influences them later on in life in the relationships that they're having in the present. Um, so you kind of incorporate all of that. You talk about that in session. You can also talk about the relationship that a client has with their own therapist as therapeutic material. That's interesting. So we kind of use all of that in one big, it's not as clear as ABA. It's never going to be as clear, unfortunately. But I well, feel like we don't do us ourselves a justice as a field by not taking into account a lot of that stuff. And I, I think it's agree. important that with the relational frame theory and like um, the act therapy movements that we are moving more as a field into like honoring those thoughts that people have, right? The limiting beliefs, the limiting thoughts, mm -hmm. accepting them and mm -hmm. being able to like move on with treatment, but also acknowledging that. And it's not fair to not take that into account. Yeah. I didn't know that y'all were doing that. Yeah. They're are you hard. referring to acceptance and commitment? Therapy? Yes, I am. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that ABA was getting into that. They're like yep. real into it lately. It's like the oh, hottest wow. trend. Like That's so cool. It's like, the sex yeah, because it's like kind of like the what's really trendy right now <laughs> leopard midi skirts <laughs> you said leopards in again right it's so in our as our pleats thank you so much nina <laughs> thank you yeah. so much pleats are in <laughs> announcement pleats are in 
Um, you might be confused that pleats are for winter, but they are in. I think that like in doing this podcast, like in getting into like some of these deeper topics that require the other side of it, the background in the private events, it's very important that we are open to that too and talking about it. Yeah. Well, I think what happens is a lot. And I think ABA also gets a bad name because unfortunately in any field, uh, anyone who's too extreme in anything, I think there's an issue. I agree that I think ABA is awesome saying that, okay, we don't need a diagnosis. Like we see things as behavior. Like, I don't care if you have ADD. I don't care if you have autism. I don't care if you have this, but I'm looking at it as a behavior right. now. But I do think it is important to allow people with their expertise to also weigh in on certain things, right? So, and I mean, well, let's get further into that, but I think it's important to acknowledge these other fields do have their expertise. The problem comes, what I notice is that I found myself in some situations going into different environments or schools or something. And it's like, I am this aversive stimulus coming in because like, oh, the BCBA knows everything. So she thinks. And I think it's huge that we talk about things like this, that like what Nina's saying makes so much sense. And we don't just completely deny that there is that whole other aspect as right. Or, and I'm sure even the things she's going to say today, we could explain, but in behavioral terms. Everything can be related both ways, which I think this is such a beautiful platform to acknowledge that. So let's get into the topics. Hot chicks. <laughs> Hot chick. That's what my, my brother with special needs. He's so cute. Like gal, I'm obsessed with him. <laughs> oh, he made my day before my test so much better by sending me the video he sent me. Aww. Blowing yeah, me a kid. He is the sweetest. You hot chick. And like the girls <laughs> yeah. always think that they've always only said yeah. it to them. They don't realize it to everyone. Oh, he made me cry at your wedding. He, the most. At the wedding? Yeah. He was so proud. Oh, don't make oh, me so cry sweet. now. Okay. So before we get into today's topic, I want to make a public service announcement. Okay. Before we get into it, we want to point out that we are just discussing different angles on life scenarios on this podcast. This podcast does not replace being seen by a mental health professional. We have made this podcast with the intentions to create a sense of awareness. Um, I also do want to mention that I do not have my license yet. I'm still a graduate student. I work under the supervision of a licensed psychologist. And I made sure when reading this through that we weren't using any identifying information. We were mostly talking about generalizations. And even though we have an example, this really could speak to the stories of so many survivors. Um, yeah. And when we say survivors, we will be talking about abuse. Um, we realize this can be very triggering for many people who have experienced any type of abuse in their life. But with that being said, we hope that you realize you are not alone. We also, aside from providing just for us to analyze situation from a mentalistic and a behaviorist perspective, we also want to create an awareness that you are not alone. So um, before doing this, we knew we wanted to do a podcast together. Nina, when she's like, oh, okay, when can I be on your podcast? I'm like, oh my God, that's the best idea ever. Let's do a mix of your perspective versus mine. What's a topic we could look at or something and we could view it completely different. And we decided on abuse. So I actually put some feelers out, reach out. I, I posted on the, I think, study notes group and the Behavior Bitches podcast group. And unfortunately, I said, has anyone had any experience with abuse? The response was unfortunately so overwhelming. I was just blown away. It made me very sad to see the response. Um, but again, just so you know, we have taken the general theme from many of the different responses we received and any identifying information on the individuals has been altered to respect the individual's privacy. Hashtag HIPAA, hashtag ethics. Oh, Nina. <laughs> Nina is like the HIPAA queen. I got a joke for you. Knock, okay. knock. Who's there? HIPAA. HIPAA who? Can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Nina is like, she's so good. She literally will not even describe like, I'll be like, did just to like try bother her, I'll be like, did the person have any gray hair? She'll be like, I can't tell you. I'm like, dude. <laughs> 
She okay. just loves trying to figure out who my clients are. And I think it's just a game that we have. And then my now. dad does it too, too. <laughs> yeah. He tries to get names and it's like, absolutely not. He'll like make up random names. He'll be like, I know John was there. And she's like, yep. I couldn't tell you yes yep, or I no. I couldn't tell you I no. have a John in my I can't tell you yes or no. Um, okay. So that's my joke. But anyways, I'm so shocked by the amount of responses and I'm so upset by it. Nina, is this something you see often? So yes, unfortunately I wasn't so surprised you told me how many responses that you got. Um, this is probably what I see most often. Um, we're at a community mental health center that so many people, unfortunately are victims of abuse. And I think a lot of times when people think of abuse, they're thinking of physical abuse, they're thinking of sexual abuse, but really there are other kinds of abuse that are important to note, like, like verbal, what? verbal, psychological, economic, cultural. Um, there's like just so many ways that someone can really abuse the power that they have in a relationship um, to hurt another person. What's so, Nina, sorry to, yeah, I didn't want to interrupt you, but what would you actually define mm -hmm. um, abuse as? Because we're behavior analysts and we need an operational definition. Right. So clear I can give you examples, um, right? Because you like an example of like what is physical. Yeah, like a non-example. <laughs> no, you can <laughs> yeah. just right, the which is not example. So you can measure this, like how many times an individual gets hit. Yes. That would be physical abuse. Okay. You can measure how many times someone um, demands sex and that would be sexual abuse. You could uh, probably be a lot harder to measure this, but psychological abuse, it's really manipulation or gaslighting. Do you know what that term is? No, what is that? It's I've like, heard of that. it comes from a movie. I think the movie might've been called Gaslight or something like that. But that is just slowly but surely trying to convince someone that they have no idea what they're talking about, that they really are the one who's confused, that they're really the one who's wronged, and that's called gaslighting. I hate that shit. Yeah. Like I, but I mean, I wouldn't say mine is to the, but there's certain times when I'll like say something and I'm so sure about it to Eliron. And I'm like, he makes me feel yeah. like I have no idea what the F I'm saying. And I was like, I went into this conversation so strong. Yes. So it's really hard to describe and definitely hard to measure something like that. But we can look um, at permanent products of some things also like, you know, when you see, I mean, not all abuse at all is those physical marks, but we can yeah, look at definitely. permanent products, Casey. We could look at like how many marks there are, the size of the mark. Um, or like how many holes in the wall there are mm -hmm. or, um, yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Or, For verbal yeah. abuse, you could probably also count how many times someone called them a, a B word or someone called them. <laughs> love you. <laughs> I don't want to use this. And guys, can we also say that if any of this is really happening, there's no really need to collect data on these true. terrible things. If so it happens true. once, it's probably too much. So that's exactly don't right. get into thinking that we're telling you that you need to collect data on these like abusive relationships. No, no, no. No, okay. definitely not. And if you were to go to a mental health professional, there is no chance they would ask you to collect data or no. verify what has happened to you. Like they will believe you at your word. Yeah. So the only reason we were saying that is because this is a behavioral podcast and we know a lot of people are, we're just trying to make things relate to if you are studying about having operational definitions, but no, you do not need to go with a count and list of how many times something has happened. Yeah. Like, you don't need to scatter plot data this mm -hmm. shit. All right, guys. <laughs> yeah. That's so true. Can you tell me one thing about what is the cultural Oh, the cultural one is more about like religious practices. So if someone were like, we keep kosher. So if someone were to switch our food and not tell us that it's not kosher or like slip in bacon, like bacon's a big no-no when you keep kosher, right. like that would be cultural abuse or not allowing someone to go to church. Um, that would be cultural abuse. And another really important point to note about abuse um, is that abuse unfolds over time. Like a supervisor once explained to me that no one would stay in a relationship when they would be hit on the first date. Like you would go on a blind date and the guy that they meet slaps them across the face when they order something. Mm -mm -mm. Behavioral translation, right? That would punish the behavior pretty quickly, right? It's the first time it happened to go out with this person. They punch me across the face, done. 
But what happens in real life is that this happens very slowly. So it's often very undetectable. And they start with like those small, like just nuanced, maybe unkind words that could lead into verbal abuse, or they could start with maybe a little bit of economic abuse, like putting someone on a budget. Um, And then slowly but surely, like that heat kind of builds of the abuse. And by the time someone is using physical or sexual abuse, chances are that the victim already loves their abuser, already has a relationship with them, already has a very strong attachment. So it's so much harder for them to get out of that relationship because they're already so close. So when I read these stories, all these different responses we got, um, it seems like a common theme that people feel very isolated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I when I read the amount of these stories, I was like, oh my God, I hope these people are realizing they're not alone at all. Um, and I don't know if that's a common theme that you see, but yeah. I also have so much respect for you because when I read these stories, I was like literally sick to my stomach and I was like, I could not be a psychologist. I would literally take... <laughs> all of this home with me. (laughs) Well, thank you. Um, Definitely. I use those boundaries that you'd love to mention that I have. Um, Literally like sets a boundary with me for everything, like certain things. I'm just like, okay, we get it. You have boundaries. Whoop-de-doo. But that's what keeps you mentally well. Nina, I need you to teach me some of those. (laughs) You can have me on for another uh, podcast. Boundaries. Boundaries. She's going to set a boundary and let you know that that will be during her clinical time. Okay. (laughs) I should get paid for this. Um, She is smart. (laughs) Thank you. That's so kind. Um, Really, I've just been in school for five years. So, you know. Yes. I love school, though. I want to be in school for the rest of my life. I love school, too. I'm so sad, actually, that I'm done with classes. Like, I might go get my PhD just so I'm still in school. Do it. Do it. You know, uh, the I don't know if I'd do it again, to tell you the truth, but I can look (laughs) back with rose-colored glasses and say it wasn't that bad. There you go. But your dissertation, though, that is, like, painful. Yes. Anyway, I'm not here to talk about my issues. Um, back to what we were talking about with uh, abuse, right? Hashtag boundary again. Okay. <laughs> Not hearing my dissertation dirty laundry on your podcast. And what was I saying? I was saying that I could about, not be a psychologist. It's so painful. Right. And you had asked about isolation. Isolation. That yes, was important to you. note because that is a huge part of what abusers do when they first start out in relationships. Because, I mean, you can think of this just logically, it's so much harder to leave a relationship when you don't have those same loved ones and friends to go to. You don't have that same attachment to them anymore. So it's harder for you to leave. Um, And that's also something really important to keep in mind as we're talking about this. I think it's really easy to judge if you're someone who hasn't experienced this um, and just ask, like, why don't they leave? This sounds like a terrible situation. Why don't they just break up with that person? Um, But what you have to keep in mind is that, like, people have different ability levels. People have different privileges, different resources. Um, And like I mentioned, like, someone doesn't get hit on the first date, right? Like chances are they've been together for a while. They have a life with them and it's just a very challenging thing. Um, I have a a story that I was going to interject, which is a personal one about that. Like um, it doesn't happen on the first date, right? Mm -hmm. And you get manipulated to think that you love them, that they love Mm -hmm. you, that you can't Mm -hmm. live without them. They can't live without you. And then when the abuse starts, because I was in one, um, Mm -hmm. the reasons I didn't leave when I think back on it now, finances, Mm -hmm. where was I going to go, right? He had everything, the house, the money, a lot of stuff, Mm -hmm. fear of judgment from other people and my family, my friends, and not wanting to admit it because I wanted to be perfect all the time. So that was a big thing too for me. I'm just wondering, was yeah. this your marriage? Hashtag anonymous. Oh, okay. <laughs> Good boundary, Casey. Thank you. <laughs> it doesn't matter what it was. It was something. Um, yeah. Good boundary. Um, so there were so many reasons, like also the fear of them threatening to hurt themselves if I left. So then I felt like, if I left, they would mm-hmm. hurt themselves. I didn't want that to happen. I was responsible mm-hmm. for that. There were so many things. So I'm just going to do a quick behavioral analysis of that. 
And all these things you're saying are, you know, in a sense, the motivating operation behind something. I always say the motivating operation is kind of the background information that we don't necessarily know before we start either working with someone or along the lines, like someone just ran a race. Okay. So now water is really valuable to them. Or in this situation, you were saying like you were financially strapped for cash. You didn't have something. So like this person had a higher value to you, right? Like regardless of how shitty they were to you or whatever it was, they had this power over you because your MO in that moment was very different, right? Than someone who has the family backing, financial backing, whatever yeah, it I is. If I had a so family I could go to, or like, mm-hmm. not that my family is not amazing, but financially, I've never been supported by my family with that way. So definitely, yeah, I was in a state of basically deprivation of support and money. Mm-hmm. And this man made it seem like he had all of that. And so it was very easy to be manipulated into thinking that I could never find that anywhere else Mm -hmm. or that um, I'd be living on a street. Even though that wasn't the case, I worked my own job. I had my own money, but you get tricked into thinking these things. Mm -hmm. Right. For sure. From my past history of, you know, Mm -hmm. family stuff. Yeah. And part of what also keeps people in these relationships is what's known as the cycle of abuse. So first there's like this tension that builds and then there's the actual incident that occurs. But most often after that incident, there's a reconciliation um, where the abuser apologizes. Hashtag makeup sex. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Literally, right? Uh-huh. And then it shifts into this calm, the honeymoon, and you remember, oh, yeah, they're really caring. They support me. We're together all the time. They're a lot of fun, all those positive traits. But really, that honeymoon stage is only going to last so long, and you're going to move into the tension-building stage again. Well, that's like the reinforcement stage, right? Like they're reinforcing all the behaviors that you're like, yes, I knew you were a good guy. I knew yes. I loved you. I knew we were perfect. I don't need to tell my friends about anything because – you're reinforcing all the behaviors that I like. And mm-hmm. then. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And I think I always said, um, so when I, when I look at it now, I mean, you know, my one past relationship, Nina, mm-hmm. like I would say that that actually was an abusive relationship. Oh, definitely. Um, and I'd always be like, what? I'm a confident girl. I'm missing that. Like I could never be in an abusive relationship. Like in hindsight, like it definitely was, it was like very emotionally at, like, I mean, manipulative as hell but like it was literally like the contingency if we're talking about it in terms of a three-term like behavioral contingency it was like for the on that you know that variable ratio here we're back to it schedule of like that high when things were so good when we'd finally make up it it made up for it between all those shitty Mm -hmm. times because like when we were good it was so good it was like oh we're so in love that's why we fight so much blah 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 like Oh my God, this makes so much sense. Of course, we're, oh my God, we fixed it, right? And even though it was the same contingency repeated, same antecedent, right? Oh, look, yeah, right? Liat looked at a three-year-old boy. She must be flirting, right? Like, (laughs) and it was the same thing every time, right? It was, (laughs) but you're you're so deep into it and you're living for that little, that that potential reinforcement because when it's good, it's so good. Um, So I have a question for Nina, actually. Yeah. Um, how much do you see that this like abusive cycle, Mm -hmm. um, is related to childhood? So that's a really good question. Um, like I mentioned, I am a psychodynamic therapist. Mm -hmm. I identify as what Lindsay wanted me to say. Um, so when you're asking me, I would say most things in life are related to those early childhood experiences. However, you could ask another person who's in a different psychology graduate program than I am, or just even someone in my own cohort who's not psychodynamic, and they would say, that's not important. Um, so to me, I think it it is. I, uh, you'll see when we get into this example, um, the way that people see themselves and others is Um, what we call internal working models is a huge part of the way I conceptualize or understand people's way of being. So to me, those internal working models come from those early childhood experiences. Um, However, you could ask someone else and they would say, yeah, no, uh, that doesn't matter. You know, they just fell into that relationship. It doesn't have a connection. And I feel like as well, just really quickly, behavior analysts, mm-hmm. like we would say, yes, like past learning experiences, like mm-hmm. operant hashtag operant learning. So you've learned this behavior somewhere to continue it. 
But yes, mm-hmm. let's go. Let's get into the Yeah, real- we say, I mean, I'm sure you would agree with this also. So we're not in total disagreement, right? That <laughs> nothing happens in a vacuum. Like no, everything, right. like there is some antecedent before, there's some consequence before, even if it's like an antecedent that, you know, maybe the antecedents you're looking at are much more, or like very, I mean, there's been things in between that contingency, right? Like it might've been a long time ago. Typically, like oftentimes in ABA, we're talking about like what happened immediately before something, right? Like, so um, someone screamed at me. So I started crying and then, right? So we're looking at immediate, but these essentially are contingencies as well that you're looking at. They're just being strengthened over time. And that's actually the hardest ones to break. Definitely, yeah. Then a a new learned behavior, it's like over... 29 years you're reinforcing mm-hmm. this behavior yeah. it's really hard to change that behavior i find mm-hmm. that in my practice all the time Definitely. um but what, should we get into our ta- our um situation our situation yeah hashtag things. situation i used to love him i know that's crazy but anyways mm-hmm. am i missing something I who is that it either oh it's <laughs> the guy from jersey shore oh Oh, the situation. Like the situation. Oh, I didn't really watch this. Okay. Anyways. Yeah, yeah. We totally got that. Yeah, yeah. Stupid. No. She's so sweet. She's like, no. I'm like, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So this is a an email that was sent to us. We've kind of pulled some things out, and just want to talk about it a little bit. So I will read it. So around age 15 to 16, um, I would say my. This is not me. This is me reading. I would say my first experience with domestic partner violence when I entered into my first relationship as a teen. I would say the abuse progressed quite quickly and for the majority remained in the realms of verbal abuse, manipulation, control, disregard for personal belongings, etc., but less on the physical abuse. At age 16, I jumped out of that relationship and I quickly moved into one that would proceed for the following five years until right up until my 21st birthday. The dynamic of this relationship was much different than the first and follows more along the lines of what I would consider typical abuse patterns. I would say my story, unfortunately, is similar to many young women who encounter partner violence and abuse. Some of the patterns I have now learned and identified. The abuse was not right out of the gate, or I likely would have left. Guys, that's what we just said. Yeah. Instead... The abuse began well into our relationship and massively heightened after we went away to college together. She was alone with no friends or support system. Mm -hmm. Even though I was physically motivating operations at play. There you go. Even though I was physically being abused in the most blatant ways, I did not see myself as as a woman going through abuse. I thought I was very strong willed woman with an extremely troubled boyfriend who desperately needed my help and had no one else to help him. I've been there. It wasn't until after my relationship ended and on my healing journey that I began to understand and unfold what I experienced. To be more blatant, graphic about my experiences, hashtag objective, I faced everything from kicking, frequent strangulation, spitting, hitting, throwing my body, and often disregarding my belongings, tearing down doors, throwing breaking items. I get so mad hearing this. Once he broke my hand and I ended up in the hospital undergoing surgery. The list goes on and on and continually isn't pretty. I left the relationship after my 21st birthday and would like to say I walked away directly because of the abuse. But again, like many in my scenario, I did not identify with this yet. Initially, I made myself believe that I was walking away because I could no longer help my partner with his sufferings. And actually, um, the event faced of being a failure after. Wow, I feel that. So fast forward. Happy story. I am happily married for the past six years and expecting our first child, working full time, running my business running a large community for creative biz education and use of my social platforms, not only for my business, but for mental health awareness, as well as speaking up about my experience with domestic violence. Wow. That was great. Thanks for sharing. That was not great. I am so, I mean, thank you for sharing and I'm so happy she's in a better place, but I get so mad seeing this. Mm -hmm. My palms are sweating. Mine are too. I'm having, I'm having a respondent. Or a reflex, as they say, right? Yeah. Yes. Behaving a terrible story and palm mm-hmm. sweating. Yep. So I actually, so I got this story and I want to give a little bit, a look at it from a behavioral perspective. So I actually spoke to this individual after because you could only get so much from an indirect observation. Am I right? Am I right? Yeah. Okay. You're right. You're right. 
Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, so I asked if, you know, so I asked a few things. So first of all, as you could see, this person actually repeated um, going from one relationship that was abusive to the next. Right. right. And so what went through my head at first, right, when I thought about it, I was like, okay, so this is, you know, wouldn't that punish that behavior? They went through something like so aversive. Wouldn't they not want to go back to that? Right. When they're exactly. in the same, when they have a, when they come into contact with a similar antecedent. And then I thought a little bit further and I was thinking, well, first of all, what we said earlier that, you know, we have, well, there is that intermittent reinforcement of, wow, things are so good. Things are getting better. Um, and that's so valuable that, you know, you might, that reinforcer is actually more valuable than the, I guess, the abuse at that time, because at that, you know, there's those competing, yeah. those competing stimuli. That's what I'm trying to get at. Sorry, it's not coming out so clear. Um, and also, we are creatures of habit as well. And I, I think I was trying to bring that up to you about, you know, Victor Frankl's book with Man's Search for Meaning. Mm -hmm. And somewhere in there, and I can't give an exact quote, so no one hold me to this, but it goes along the lines of how, and I think it's a behavioral thing also, because how we actually could become creatures of habit and suffering, right? Like mm -hmm. it's a contingency that you're familiar with, you know it. Um, now, if you don't have a previous learning history of a healthier relationship, what a relationship should look like. Ding, 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 ding. Right. You, you think that this is typical, right? So, and something that, um, this person had mentioned to me was that she had felt that this is what real love looked like. Real love took this work, right? Anything that she had a learning history of in the past, she was saying, I hate it. On Pinterest, you see all these quotes that are like, love takes work. You have to work for what you want. And so you, you see something like that and it shapes your behavior to think, oh, well, I need to be making some change here to create a, um, or a healthier relationship. Like with the fact that we're fighting means that we're in love. Right. So I think that goes along the same lines with, um, and again, I'm not a professional, but I have a lot of personal experience in my family with addiction, which will be another future topic, but I can't wait for that topic. I'm the fascinated by addiction. They aren't strong enough, right? Like what you're coming into contact with is better than the alternative. So the abuse could be better than the alternative of being homeless or, losing your family and friends or so the motivating operation in play is actually stronger than the consequence, which I think is yeah. not, it's not something we really totally look it, at. It, it, and it comes down to our primary unconditioned reinforcers as well. Like when, when it's getting to the point where we talk about food, we talk about water, warmth, home, warmth, shelter. Home, right? Like that ultimately is the ultimate reinforcer that you don't need to be trained for. So you're like, okay, I got to go through this at this time in order to get X, right? So, I mean, a, a lot of that goes in to play when, and, and I think I, I watch a lot of stuff on sex trafficking I and prostitution. I love anything that is like criminal at all related. Me too. And sex with law and order. No, I'm more like a dateline girl or anything like crime. Wait, so you like true or, or, or fictitious, fictitious? True. I like you're true. like Matt. I like fake crap. Ellie Ron thinks I'm like planning a murder at all times. He like, I don't understand why you do this. Like, don't you want to be happy? And I'm like happy. Happy. He removes the H on things that need the H. So he'll say like happy or but he puts an H on things that don't need it. Like I was in the Israeli army, like army. <laughs> It's very interesting. Thing. Whenever there's a vowel that starts the word, he adds the H. And whenever a word starts with the H and then it obviously immediately has a vowel after that, he drops it. So it's our instead of our. Like, how, like how We had him on for like, just to do our intro one time, just to like hear him oh, talk. He Perfect. always is like, oh, you're the behavior bitch, huh, mommy? You're the behavior bitch. Oh, is yeah. he Latin or is he Israeli? 
Israeli, he's but, Israeli, but he has a Latin. <laughs> yeah, he's fluent in Spanish, actually. But he'll be like, oh, look, I live with the Behavior Beach. Oh, yeah, the Behavior Beach lives here. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, we're way off topic. Okay, I'm real so in, off topic. We have got things to do. Okay, reel it in. So, so now we want her side. Now, now, what yeah. is it my turn? <laughs> yeah, no. Like, we have her on the podcast. Set a boundary. Take your turn, Nina. Well, I wanted you to fully explain it. I, I feel like we did just to look at the in terms of behavioral contingencies. Okay. So now it's your turn. And I just want everyone to know who's not sitting in my cute little office right now with Nina and I, that she has written out this entire, do you always draw a diagram like this? Yes, I do. And just so you know, the diagram looks like if you were going to be writing about like the cycle of water or something like condensation, evaporation, it's kind of like that with arrows connecting the different things, making a circle. So it's like some kind of something circular going on here. Mm -hmm. okay. Yes. So that is what I actually do every time. Whenever I hear someone's story, uh, you kind of conceptualize and think about what are the events that have led this person to be experiencing the difficulty that they're having in the moment. Um, so I start out because this is, again, just the way I work, a number of different psychologists or psychologists to be um, would not do this, but this is just the way I see clients. So I ask like four inherent questions of like, how does the person see themselves? How do they expect others to treat them? And how do they see others treating them? How do they tend to protect themselves? As in like, how are they... Um, learning really to use your language how are they learning from past experiences about the way that they see others treating them and then trying to defend themselves and keep themselves safe and then how are they perceiving how others are treating them based off of their protective behaviors so i know that's pretty complicated so that's no i love it no. mind blown boom but i actually really like it because we don't ask any of those things, like any <laughs> no. of those things. And no, that, it's all like about right before it, that's all, all about feelings. Like it's, that's really all it is. It's really about the thoughts and feelings. And you definitely see how the thoughts and feelings are going to be affecting their behaviors. And that's really important to talk about as well. Um, but as far as the conceptualization and far as helping someone gain insight about the way that they are and how they are with other people, it's really what we, I focus on is thoughts and feelings. And that's more of like the CBT and ACT like modality and movement towards, which mm -hmm. I feel as an ABA therapist, I don't think I'm being a, a fully functioning mm -hmm. therapist if I ignore all of that stuff. So I think it's very important. Yeah. I mean, I obviously think it's really essential for someone to understand where their behavior is coming from. I mean, don't and get then, me wrong. I want to know exactly what the behavior looks like. And I don't want any mushy gushy stuff because <laughs> that's what will get us into like with families when we're interviewing and stuff. It's like, yeah, the only way I'm going to be a, yeah, the only way I'm going to be an effective therapist if is if, if I know exactly what is happening mm -hmm. versus all the feelings and stuff. Cause yeah. we have to do kind of quick treatment in like crisis management situations. Mm -hmm with kids and families. So we do look at that exactly what is happening operationally defined behavior. Mm -hmm. But after that intervention can be quickly applied, we can take into account some other yeah. stuff too. And that I think is a big difference. Like I see my clients 50 minutes most of the time, once a week mm -hmm. for anywhere between eight would be like the lowest number. And I could see people for up to a year or two years yeah. every week for an hour. Wow. Mm -hmm. So we would be talking about all these issues, all these thoughts, all these feelings, applying what they're understanding about themselves to their outside world, doing it over and over again for a really long period of time. Now, something that we do is, and I, I still want to hear, go back to these questions. So if I get off task, let me know. But are you, so like as behaviorists, we're going in, we're seeing the issue, right? We're like, okay, this is what's happening. This is what behavior looks like. This is the antecedent. This is the consequence. We need to make sure that that is no longer being reinforced. Here's our intervention. Mm -hmm. What is your goal with someone when they come in? You're not totally like, different. Though. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying like yours is not like, this is what you're going to be doing. No. You will be doing this. You're not depressed anymore. Goodbye. Right. Yeah. It's not, not even close. Okay. So tell us. Um, well, first you have to make a relationship with the client. You have to get to know Hashtag them. Hashtag pairing. Hashtag oh, yeah. build rapport. Hashtag pairing, building rapport, get to know them. Um, 
I also never, never give advice. Like that, I think, is what a lot of people go to therapy and want. Um, you just want your therapist to tell you what to do, how to make things better, but that's like the opposite of what we do. We really strive to help them see that they have the tools, they have the understanding of themselves to make the changes that they want to see in their own lives. So I don't tell them, yeah, just stop doing that or that's going to go really poorly for you. I may have those thoughts internally sometimes. Um, and sometimes I do share them, but most of the time I don't. And I let the person explore for themselves because at least I think that when they learn that on their own, when they're able to, you know, make Coming a, a natural friend, contingency. Yeah, yeah, like have a more natural effect than me saying like, stop saying that and you'll make more friends. Right. If they just naturally hear feedback from me, start making a relationship with me, naturally maybe become a little less aggressive, naturally become a little more friendly, they're going to see that effect in their outside life as well. It's a matching law. How so, Casey? Well, so if they're getting reinforcement for a behavior, right, they're going to increase reinforcement or behavior goes where reinforcement flows. So if they're, you know, realizing, oh, if I don't hit this person or if I don't do this, I'm going to get mm -hmm. this really good feel like feeling of like goodness or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so then, then without you even telling them what to do, they're in, coming into contact yes. with those contingencies and they're able to feel that reinforcement. Yeah. I mean, I think exactly. a natural contingency also is, is more effective than like rule governed behavior. You know, when you oh, come yeah. into contact yeah. with it yourself, it's like, oh, wait, the stove really is hot. Now I'm not going to touch it again, as opposed to always being told, don't touch it. It's hot. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think that's amazing that you I mean, we when we're training for things, we also train for that generalization that they could come into contact with a natural contingency. Mm -hmm. But I think it's difference between like when we provide therapy is like a lot of our, like, oh my God, I said it. A lot of our clients do not have the mental capacity to be able to understand their own behavior or the verbal language to understand their own behavior. So we really have to only focus on the antecedent behavior consequence. Cause we can't say to them the things that you might be able to say to someone in therapy. Like, yeah, exactly. So it's like, well, how someone do you, how do you, how, yeah. How do you, well, yeah, I mean, we know it's a huge spectrum, but for example, if, you know, there are some social skills lacking, it's like, well, how do you think you made that person feel when you just turned around when they were talking, right? Do you do that? No. Oh, I mean, I didn't no, well, that. I mean, if, if, if you have someone high functioning, sure, you could ask that mm -hmm. in between while you're like doing mm -hmm. a, like a program. But I think you might be able to ask more critical questions like that to yeah. have someone start thinking, thinking about these things and you're suddenly they're hearing things from their own voice because of the mm -hmm. critical thinking questions you're asking. I would definitely agree with that, but I would also add that ABA has been so empirically tested for autism that that's definitely um, counterindicated for them to see a therapist like me. That it your oh, work yeah. works so much better. Oh. That I mean, it, it's just true. That's, that's what really is coming out in the you've ever said to me. <laughs> I'm not. I'm really not even trying to set up to you all. Um, like it, it, it's just mm -hmm. true. Like that's just what I'm talking about, like about this example, asking those four questions, that's just not what someone with autism would need. Right. And we, we individualize our therapy for our clients and we mm -hmm. manipulate the environment and all the antecedent, um, you know, manipulations that may need to happen. And so we do need to see things really objectively and exactly how they look mm -hmm. because we can't treat if we don't know what it looks like. Yeah. So let me just, I just want to get one thing before we close on this. I want to go back to the situation. Yeah, that we, we have to go back to the example. And I want Nina to longest like, podcast ever. <laughs> what is it? Are we getting long? No. What What did you write on your paper here, Nina? Like, what are you seeing that we could say? Oh, look, Freud was involved. Okay. So again, it's not Freud because this is definitely not psychodynamic. psychodynamic sorry, it's psychodynamic. I'm so um, sorry. She so identifies as psychodynamic. Please write that down, everyone. <laughs> um. And not a licensed psychologist. That and too. she's not a sci licensed psychologist. Please write that down. <laughs> um, so what I have here is uh, a cycle. So I think in patterns, I think in cycles, and I help my clients understand the cycles that they have um, gotten themselves into um, or that they are in. So where I start, like I said, is how they see themselves. So I didn't talk to this individual like Liot did. So I'm just really guessing here. And this person could correct me if I'm wrong, um, but likely this person saw themselves as broken or saw themselves as unlovable at, at that time, that they were unworthy of love as we all know it to be loving and caring and 
easy. Um, and then we have, you know, like Liat mentioned, there's like this arrow that goes on and these thoughts are going to lead into the way that someone expects others to treat them. Because the way that you see yourself is going to be the way that you expect others to treat you. So um, I would expect uh, this person to think that others would see them as lesser than or others would uh, likely reject them or that others would likely um, treat them poorly or that they will likely feel sad or hurt or betrayed when they are in relationships with other people. And then what that does, that leads them into those protective factors that I talked about is like that, that uh, third question that I ask or like, how are they behaving? What are they doing to protect themselves for what they think is going to happen when other people, when they come into contact with other people? So for this person, she mentioned a few keywords, like she was serving others. She was trying to help him. She was trying to protect him, that the relationship needed a lot of work. So this is someone who really makes a huge effort to try to prove to other people her worth by serving them, by, you know, being, um, you know, very amenable to whatever he asks or whatever it was, or she was trying to protect him from whatever it was. She didn't give specific examples of that, but that's that, uh, that third part. And then the fourth part, which then leads into the first part, because it is a cycle, it's a circle. I actually draw this out with my clients because it's a lot easier when you can see it. Guys, maybe um, we'll put it in our show notes. <laughs> it's a mess. <laughs> if only I had better handwriting. Um, but that fourth part is then how they understand others to treat them in real life. It's not that expectation, but it's how it actually happens in their world, how they actually perceive it to happen. So she mentioned it didn't hurt that bad. Badly. It wasn't that bad. Um, you know, she mentioned like so sad, like she broke her hand, she needed surgery. And she, she mentioned in that note of it didn't, it wasn't that bad. Right. She said, um, it wasn't that extreme. And the, looking back, she saw this was terrible. This was definitely something I didn't deserve. But in the moment, it was, this makes sense. And that made sense to her because she had that sense of self that was um, broken, that was unlovable, that was telling her constantly, I can only be loved when I work so hard. We love you. <laughs> I'm sitting here hugging my beard. I know. Yeah, so and I you're both going like hurt things with our hands. Like... <laughs> I know you two are distracting me on my uh, soapbox. No, you're because it's amazing. It. No, that, that was great. You you know what you're talking about. And I will let your professors know if they want to listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. um, I will let them know that you know your shit. Thank you. That being said, I hope that this podcast provided some understanding between why we talk about a behavioral perspective and why we talk about things being a mentalistic perspective. Now, do they need to be completely alone and isolated? No. In fact, you're way Hell no. That's a hard no. If, you know, if you could work with other professionals, that's amazing. Don't make yourself hated in the field that you know everything, you could do it all. In fact, when you could collaborate and work with others, it has the best outcome. Like, look how much we just learned from Nina. Oh, thanks, y'all. And like, that is very important for us going into, like the outside, going out into the field and being able to take other people's perspectives, stay with our own, you know, mm -hmm. ethical code of what we can provide for services, but not to knock other people's stuff because yeah, everyone I have is such appreciation for what y'all do. Yes. We just want to help the clients. That's it. Client centered first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Okay. And before we leave this, I want to make a very important announcement that if you or someone you know, or you think might be going through abuse, you are not alone. And I could say that with data after collecting all of the, literally putting it up for a second, I, how many people have gone through some form of abuse. Um, Nina, I've been there, guys. I've been there. And mm -hmm. Nina was kind enough to get all the resources for us. So <laughs> hardly. They're just a few hotlines that I think could be helpful for people. Um, so we have the sexual assault hotline. The number is 1-800-656-4673. The domestic violence hotline. The number is 1-800-799-7233. We have the suicide hotline, 
1-800-273-8255. And the self-harm hotline, 1-800-366-8288. Nina, can you call if any time of day, any day of the week? Can you call for someone else if you're concerned about someone else? I believe you can. You believe you can. Um, so you are not alone. You're amazing. Good things are coming. Thank you so much for having me. Nina, thank you for coming. Before you leave <laughs> my ass and go to Denver, enjoy, blah, 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 blah. Nina, thank you so much. You were It was amazing. so my pleasure and it was so fun to talk to both so, you. So I want to meet you in real life. Come to Denver. Come to Denver. <laughs> we should go visit her in Denver. Yeah, we I actually want to, I wanted to do a meeting point in Denver because Why Denver's don't we, like, me and you still need to meet. So <laughs> I know. Um, on that note, thank you everyone for joining us. I will say again, subscribe to our podcast. On all your favorite podcast platforms. Yes. All your favorite podcast platforms. Our Insta handle is behavior bitches podcast, Facebook behavior bitches podcast. And as always love you mean it. Hey guys, it's Liat here, and I just wanted to take the time for just a single second of your time and tell you about something awesome. As you know, Casey and I are super into this podcast thing going on here and getting it started. And I just wanted to let you know that there's an easy way to get it done. And that is what I'm gonna tell you right now about Pretty Easy Podcasts. Thank God we got in touch with the team at Pretty Easy Podcasts. They help you do everything from start to finish. They will get your show up there. They will record the episode for you. They will produce it. They will add bleeps in if you're full of F-bombs like myself. Whatever it is that you need, they will do it. When you first said you wanted to start a podcast, I was like, okay, we can do that. We have no idea what we're doing. I never really thought it would get off ground until we met Alan at Pretty Easy Podcast and he put all my fears to rest. He helped us get everything going from all of our audio editing and production and our song that we have, which is amazing by the way. We're allowed to record from our own homes. He helps us with our guests. Um, he caters to our schedule. Come on, Leah, we are the worst with scheduling. I mean, I know we said we're going to have a podcast a week. So far, we're out a few days, but hey, he works with us. That's what we need. But the point is, we were looking at how we could download all these different programs to try learn how to do all this podcasting stuff. But truth is, it's affordable. It's much easier to have someone do it for you. You could go to prettyeasypodcast.com and you could get started today. So. I say go. I say if you want to be heard, if you have something to say, like we do, we love the sound of our own voices, and we found Alan who lets our voices shine. So thank you, Alan, at prettyeasypodcast.com. Easy